As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to an hour of our time. Today, to round out our spooky month of October, we're going to be talking about paganism. We'll discuss the broadness of the term, its connection to Halloween, and its many modern incarnations. I'm Dave. I'm Mark. I'm Joe. Well, now that we are just about to hit Halloween, we are on to the last of our spooky episodes. I think this will be the um, this will be a decidedly different episode, but possibly the most Halloween specific. Episode. We're talking about the spookiest thing that you possibly could talk about: alternative religions. Is <laughs> like according to your grandmother? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I would say this is not so much spooky as interesting and informative. Yeah, this is going to be very much a historical episode. Yes. However, I would posit that if you told me I had to face off against uh, a werewolf or someone trying to talk to me about crystals, eh, <laughs> you'd much might, rather face the werewolf. I might pick the werewolf. Might pick the werewolf. Unless it depends on what we're talking about. If we're talking about crystal structure and geology, I'm in. I, I tended to be the kind of person when I was maybe 16 or 17 who would like be interested in a girl that would inevitably talk to me a whole bunch about Wicca. And I would think like, how did I get into this situation? No, looking back <laughs> on it, it's pretty clear how I got into this situation. But I, it was very annoying. That's extremely, that's extremely clear how you got into that situation. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think, I think it really described me at that age. I'm painting with the broad brush here, but did you ever did you ever pretend to be into like something that you were not at all into, like like witchcraft or anything like that? For the sake of what? For the sake of a woman. No. Okay. No, I actually usually would take the opposite route, which is to be immediately insulting. Again. So really against the desired effect. Again, very not surprising. You're such no. a people. You're such a people person, though. Uh, here's a good story. Uh, 
a couple years ago, we filmed a music video that was supposed to be like a seance. Uh-huh. And on the way to filming it, Leanna, um, we needed her to get a couple props. And she stopped. There was a place like the street over from our old house that was like a new age place that sold crystals and all sorts of things. There was, I mean, you're going to have to be more specific because you lived in Clintonville. Yeah, it was called like Pearls of Wisdom. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, and uh, so she went in there, and then she's on the phone with me. I needed her to get um, it's anything that she thought would be a good prop, but especially tarot cards. And she's mm-hmm. like, I, I don't even know where these things are. And I was like, I said something like, just go ask one of the dumbasses that works in there. They'll guide you to all kinds of goofy shit. And she's like, yeah, my phone's real loud. <laughs> and there's no one in here. <laughs> So yeah, yeah, so yeah that sort of sums up my immediate attitude about this kind of stuff. You're you're really I, harshing my vibe, Dave. I, I am not. Mm-hmm. I have no problem with paganism, but when you talk about like people that are suddenly into Wicca because, as you put it, Joe, they want to anger their parents. That's some eye rolly shit. Whoa, 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 whoa! You can't. <laughs> you 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 can't prove I've ever said that. Did you not say this on the last episode, or did we cut that out? I think it was after we were recording. Right. I I will I will admit that I have in the past expressed a belief that some of the stuff that we're going to talk about is kind of silly. Um, I will defend myself in two ways. One, as someone who has a materialist or a naturalistic worldview, I think all religions are kind of silly. Yes, hundred percent. Um. So. Uh, no, no special treatment one way or the other. Um, also in studying this, I did start to gain some sympathy for the idea of reconstructing, um, the ethnic religions, uh, from, you know, essentially the area of the Roman world, uh, that were suppressed by the church for like 2000 years. And people sort of trying, attempting to somehow reclaim their like uh, history or heritage of the place that they live, which I'm, that's just, that's very human. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. But I think where it's, it still is, um, it kind of becomes a historical is the claim that many of these um, religions are actually older religions. They aren't. They just, they are not. The, most of them date to the 1960s. Yeah. Um, possibly a little bit earlier, but we'll get into that. Well, and I'll say this, like, I'm totally with you that, like, I think that the idea of, of resur- resurrecting cultural practices that were squashed by the invasion of Christianity, in this case, like, into Ireland... Mm-hmm. really important culturally important historically uh preservative mm-hmm. yeah well there's there's like uh there's well i'll, t- I'll talk about this well well but at the same time i'm also with you in that i don't think any one religious practice any one belief in the supernatural and the rituals associated with it is any more ridiculous than any other like it's not my thing overall i kind of look at all of it as equally um equal hokum as that all goes so at the same time like i'm with you there like as my vantage point means that all religious practice to me is equally bizarre yeah i'm i'm with you 
I and then last point I'll make <laughs> before we just kind of get into the meat of it is that um, while again I have expressed sort of a, you know skepticism and and things like this with uh, practices like um, modern witchcraft or or Wicca, um, yeah. I will say those religions compared to some of the major world religions have are really not have never hurt anyone. <laughs> oh well, um, yeah. They certainly um, hurt fewer people. Yeah. Um, <laughs> although there, for some of these neo-pagan movements, there is a dark side, which uh, Mark will discuss. Yes. Well, so, Mark, do you we want to talk about... I mean, I guess the first question we need to answer is, what is paganism? Because it is a very broad term. Yeah. So pagan, like... I think most people's conception of pagan is basically not Christian. Uh, and then for some people, it goes a little bit more broad or a little bit less specific to not following one of the Abrahamic religions, um, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. And then furthermore, I think most people's conception of paganism in modern times is basically it's not one of the major world religions. And, and we can thank the Romans for lumping everybody yeah. else into this broad category. Yeah, so um, so there's been like, yeah, various different definitions, but the word derives from Latin. So this is, we always joke about we've got to go back to ancient Greece or ancient Rome. In this case, like the word comes from the Romans and this concept comes from the Romans. <laughs> and the only reason that we're talking about pagan at all is because of the Romans. Um, the word is paganus. Pajanus, or for a long time, people thought that this word meant from the country. Mm. Uh, and the reason that we get this is because Christianity arose primarily at first in the cities among the quote, the learned people, uh, and the people in the country still practiced the old ways. So they called people they called them the the paganus, the pagans. Um. More modern or like more recent uh, historical uh, scholarship has shown that that's probably not accurate um, and that the origins of the word are more complex. Hmm. But um, another word this, that's fascinating was used to describe a pagan or this concept was Hellene, which means Greek. The Greeks called themselves Hellenes. What is absolutely bizarre about this is because um, – if you recall, you had at one point the Western Roman Empire and the Eastern Roman Empire. Um, the Romans conquered the Greeks, largely took their language and culture and religion. Um, so a lot of the Roman-speaking world actually, or the Roman world actually spoke Greek. But um, paganism in the East became associated with the polytheistic Greek religion. So Zeus and all those people, the gods. Um so you had Greek speakers using the word Hellene as a pejorative. Mm. <laughs> An interesting situation. It was a very, like, I think it was a bizarre situation, but it had to do with um, the disassociation of, we frequently associate religions with what the culture or with the people. That wasn't always necessarily the case. Um, and then another word you may have he heard is heathen. Sure. Uh, heathen is a little bit later term. It derives from Old English, and it might be a translation translation of Hellene. But heathen was a sort of a, a term applied to the uh, 
pre-Christian or um, non-Christian Germanic uh, religions, which were also often polytheistic. Paganism is usually associated with polytheism, so having many gods, but many pagan religions, so again, we're talking about like religions that were around at the time of the early Christian church, um, were monotheistic. Some of them were, um, a lot of them were what we call henotheistic, which there would be one major god and then many lesser gods or daemons, um, which is kind of probably where you get the Catholic cosmology with like different kinds of demons and levels of angels and things like that. Okay. From, from borrowed from other religions at the time. Um, uh, so paganism was also associated with, uh, so paganism does, does not mean polytheistic. Although again, that's an word that I think people treat them as synonyms. Um, religion in antiquity was not nearly as dogmatic as the major world religions are today. You had every town had their patron deity that they were kind of partial to, but there was broad religious freedom in the Roman Empire. People really, I mean, this is an oversimplification, but people really didn't give a fuck what you worshipped. Um, and you could worship, and they just borrowed gods. So, like Isis, for instance, from ancient Egypt, became very popular in the Roman world. Well, so, so this they, is. This is true before the Holy Roman Empire. Yes, I'm talking about the, like the Roman Empire, right, and the Roman Republic before it. Yeah, they they liked Isis from uh from Egypt, Egyptian mythology, so they they took that god and added it to their pantheon. So there was it was not nearly as dogmatic, um, and that's a trend that you see in neo paganism. Um. Several pagan monotheistic religions developed in the Roman Empire and late antiquity at the same around the same time as Christianity. You had cults of Dionysus. Let me tell you if this let me ask you if this sounds familiar. He was very into wine, and every year he died and was resurrected. Oh yeah. I've heard this story before. Uh the cult of Dionysus was extremely popular, and there's a uh, an idea in religious scholarship that um, the the character of Jesus sort of morphed from like the traveling rabbi figure to a more Dionysus-like figure hmm. to become more popular. Um, there was di- cults of Dionysus. There was Neoplatonism, uh, Mithraism, which is a kind of a, a monotheism that developed in the Roman Empire, uh, Gnosticism, which is kind of is that when you got a sick ride? <laughs> it's when you're sipping on that energy drink. When you got a spoiler in the back of your car? You got some uh, some under the car neon. Is that what um, Vin Diesel practices? Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sorry, but what he practices truly is family. Oh, that's true. It's all about family. Uh, and uh, Manichaeism. Um, these were all monotheisms that developed at the same time. And early Christianity was in some ways like in competition with these. So they also get lumped in as paganism as well, even though, again, they are not polytheistic. Um, so then, of course, then you get, though, the dominance of the of Christianity in the Roman Empire and then all the other pre-Christian religions begin to be suppressed, especially once you get to Theodosius I, Emperor, um, which who we, we have discussed. Um, and then you get the suppression of these other religions. Uh, and that kind of gets you through most of 
in European history until about the uh, about the Renaissance. So, um, do you want me to keep going, or do you want to talk about a couple more things? Well, uh, Mark, you were going to talk specifically about the Druids, right? Yeah. So, thinking of a paganism, thinking of paganism as a topic, the first thing that came to mind to me were the Druids. And I didn't really know a whole lot about the Druids, but I was surprised to learn that they are not a culture, but a class. And if it helps, Mark, in order to understand Halloween, I had to go back and like learn who the Celts were, and that relates okay. to the Druids. So we, if, if you, I don't know how far back you go, but I can talk to speak to that to lead up if you need. Well, I just have some general information here, and if you want to jump in, feel free. Uh, but I learned that the Druids are the high-ranking members of the Celtic society. Mm-hmm. Um, they for, uh, perform roles as religious leaders, legal authorities, political advisors, doctors, and lore keepers of that society. And when we talk about Celts, the Celts are an Indo-European people originating in Central Europe and um, stretching at their height from the British Isles almost to Turkey. Basically, I heard it said that like anything in Europe north of the Alps, it's like Celtic. all the tribes, the tribes of the Celts, all the different tribes. Is it's like an amalgam of different tribes. Okay. Um, they can kind of look at that as like at the height of their spread. It's like Europe north of the Alps, up through the islands that make up the modern United Kingdom. The way that I read this, the Celts and the Germanic people had kind of an overlap, but they weren't exclusively one or the other yeah and and this includes groups like i have a list uh here of some groups um that we would consider celts the gauls yep the gauls in france galatians the the britons britons it would be in france mostly like northwestern france yep oddly enough and um the 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 irish and the irish are, are the most prevalent one and there's a reason why we sort of associate celts and celtic culture with ireland would because that's where it survived the romans under julius caesar essentially wiped them out of mainland europe because you know england modern day england and ireland are is an island um they were able to keep a stronghold there and that's where the culture really flourished and where its presence is still felt mm-hmm. It's also felt in in areas of Spain, apparently, a lot too, but mainly um, England and Ireland, Scotland, Wales. Well, the the Celts are uh, sort of an ethnic group that shares some similarities. The Celtic language, Mm -hmm. um, and uh, they have a polytheistic religion, and through um, archaeology, some artistic techniques and even genetic traits that can identify someone as part of the... Um, Celtic people. Um, the Druids, though, were like I said, were the highest members of that society and had some particular roles. Um, but they also left no written records, but are described in a bunch of Greek and Roman sources. Yeah, that's like one of the biggest problems that there is, is that a lot of the stories, like we're going to talk about Samhain as a festival. A lot of the things we know about Samhain as a festival is was written by christian monks centuries later and not only are they like writing down oral tradition which is difficult 
to know how much of it is accurate, but also they embellished it with a lot of like Christian fundamentalism in those stories. So mm-hmm. it's, what we know about the Celts is, is kind of clouded through Christian eyes. Yeah, there was this idea that all all pagan religions were, which again is all non-Christian religions, were um, like hedonistic, and there was there was a lot of like, uh, you know, negative um, things uh, associated with them that we like are basically just seeing it through the filter of the church. Well, and you said, Joe, that it's non-Christian religions kind of, but it's really the non-Abrahamic religions. In other words, we wouldn't call Judaism a pagan practice. It it depended kind of on the time period, but for the most part, no, they were not. The other monotheistic religions were not considered to be uh, pagans. Mm, okay. As we've discussed in other episodes, they were frequently persecuted anyway, but... Yeah. Yes, but for a different reason. Yeah. One of the more well-known people to write about the Druids was Julius Caesar. Somebody mentioned him already. Um, And he wrote about how the Druids were organizers of Celtic religion and played a role in divination and sacrifices. Um, They were supposedly exempt from military service and from paying taxes. Um, Some other sources say that Druids' mystical knowledge was a closely kept secret and that writing down information was forbidden. So maybe that's part of why we don't have any text from them, although they were seen to be literate as a culture. Right. Um, he also mentioned that it took 20 years for a Druid priest to learn all of the the oral doctrine and stuff as part of their religious practices. And again, why does Caesar know all this? Because he was the Roman emperor at the time when they attacked the Celts in mainland Europe. Eventually, after Caesar's death, the Romans did get to you know the islands, get into modern-day England, and attack them there. If you ever go there, you can see the, re- the remnants of um, Hadrian's Wall, which is, was built by the Romans to protect themselves from the Celts that fled north. So they attacked and then decided they needed to protect themselves because all these people had gathered in one northern area. Yeah, and uh, Caesar conquering Gaul was uh, one of the, you know, was like the military victory that rose him to prominence Mm -hmm. eventually led to him um, taking over as uh, emperor. Mm -hmm. Well, the other element of this Celtic Druidic culture that is especially pertinent to our uh, purposes for Halloween is human sacrifice. Um, They sacrifice people to Celtic gods and um, a member of the Druid class had to be present for this um, sacrifice to work because they were thought of as an intermediary between earth and their gods. Burning at the stake, hanging, and drowning were sacrificial methods depending on the god that they were sacrificing to. Um, Some evidence suggests that effigies were also used instead of an actual person. Um, Archaeologically, we found mass graves as well as some very well-preserved bog bodies. I think we talked about bog bodies in our mummies episode from a while ago. We Mm. we did, yeah. Um, And that's something to see. Check that out. Um, but these, uh, these preserved bodies give us a glimpse into instances of possible human sacrifice. Um, it's assumed that criminals were 
the preferred sacrificial victim, but virgins and other innocent people were also sacrificed. But um, researchers in more recent years have come to argue that bodies discovered could possibly be honored warriors rather than sacrificial victims, and that Roman accounts were uh, flat out wrong or exaggerated due to imperialist Roman propaganda. I'm yeah. shocked. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it shouldn't surprise us that that's, that's the case, but that is the case. Philosophically, the Druids believe that the soul is immortal and can be reincarnated or pass on into another realm. Um, like I said earlier, though, we don't have a lot of written records. This is kind of going through the, the game of telephone, through history of what we may or may not know. Um, in mythological stories, Druids appear as um, high-ranking advisors to kings or other leaders, um, sometimes portrayed as sorcerers fighting against Christian influences, which become more and more um, oppressive to, I don't know, I'm going to say native people. So I don't yeah. Know what um, importantly as well, there were female druids. Uh, we know that they existed and seemed to have shared comparable social status to their male, male counterparts. That's something that we don't see in a lot of societies from this time. We don't see that in Christian societies and other um, Abrahamic religions. True. Or I suppose, well, see, is, I, Islam is following of, of um, Ishmael, right? It's a complicated that's topic. the divide. <laughs> no, no, but that's the difference, right? Between an Abrahamic religion and then Ishmael is like, that's the, the lineage uh, line. It, it, is Islam is considered an Abrahamic religion as well? Oh, okay. That they uh, and in Islam, um, there's a tradition of uh, suppressing paganism in uh, in Islam that we're not going to talk about a, a lot. But there is the pre uh, pre Islamic religions of the Arab world, and this story essentially is you know there's an identical story with them suppressing these um, pre Islamic religions. Um, mm -hmm. They gave uh, Islam gives special treatment to Judaism and Christian Christianity as being also uh, children of the book, as they call huh. it. Um, whereas other um, religions are treated differently. Sure. Okay. We don't really know when the Druids began, um, but we know that they lasted until about twelve hundred years ago with the Christianization of Europe. I read that the development of Celtic culture can be traced perhaps to 1200 BCE. Okay. So definitely prominent in like the 8th and 9th century BCE, but it, very old. Okay. Do you want to talk about Halloween now? Well, I just wanted to mention two things. One non-important druid. It's my favorite class in Dungeons and & Dragons and then turn into animals. We knew we'd come to this. <laughs> uh, no, and in all seriousness, I think like fantasy literature and gaming has had a strong influence on people's perception of druids. You know, if you ask someone like, "Was a druid?" I think they probably mentioned Stonehenge. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sure. Yeah, and I think they might mention something about like, "Oh, well, like there's something to do with nature." Um. Well, this is how D and D got attacked during the Satanic Panic. I mean, like, 
people have an association with these things and they've had it for you know centuries yes yes um and yeah but but more importantly um there was a uh, in uh, in 1781 so Dr- neo druidry is probably the earliest of these neo pagan movements um that I'll talk about but in 1781 the ancient order of the druids or the aod was formed in london england um and its uh, motto is justice philanthropy and brotherly love and it started as a, like a fraternal society and there's a lot of kind of overlap between uh the aod and Freemasonry. Um, they use a lot of like similar iconography and everything like that, although they're different. Um, but the thing is, like like Mark said, there is no continuity between the Druids of you know ancient Europe and the uh, ancient order of the Druids. Um, they have attempted to sort of reconstruct um, this. But uh, one prominent member of the AOD was uh, Winston Churchill. Oh, okay, yeah. But um, but yeah. So that that's that's so modern druidry dates to 1781. Well, let's talk Halloween. Um, because because for two reasons. One, we can draw a, a direct connection to it it as a practice holiday to the Celts, but it's not like, it's not a directly Celtic or pagan thing. It is an amalgam of many things over many, many years. And I bring this up because I think something that's happened in modern times is that people who are non-Christians want to tout Halloween as this pagan thing, like we've tricked all the Christians into practicing this pagan holiday. But it's it's got a lot of different elements to it, and it's not nearly as simple as that. You can say that all you want, but that's really not what's happening. And even if that were the case, the practices that are being practiced now are not in any way the same. Um, Counterpoint. It is uh, it is pretty cool to uh, have a holiday where we are encouraged to listen to a creepy music. And Are you telling yeah, me like, they didn't have Sour Patch Kids in the 9th century? Yeah, the ancient fireballs. I think they had Necco wafers back in the 18th century. <laughs> I think the ones we're eating now—that's they're from then. Or or candy corn is the other Halloween candy that I think is disgusting. You know, well, what? another thing I'm to gonna know, say it. Fuck dots, worst candy ever. Oh, uh, they're not that bad. There, there's worse candy than dots. I mean, have you? Eaten you know me. Candy? Not if you're I, a dentist. I like me a chalky candy. Give me a Necco wafer. Give me bottle caps. Give me runs. These are these are my thing, and I don't like to chew them. I just I let them get all soft and chalky in my mouth. I I'm just saying, Dave, it's not the Great Depression anymore. We have better candy. You don't need that stuff anymore. Ah, uh, give me Necco wafers and bread lines. <laughs> <laughs> we'll work so, for dots. We'll. <laughs> Uh, a pack of uh, Smarties. I just I like that kind of candy. That that's my stuff. I just finished a pack of Red Vines. You know I like. Oh my God, I like old candy. You are you are an eighty year old man trapped in a young man's body. A couple years ago for Christmas, my mom got me this thing of candy, and it was um, it came in a little like sack, and it was supposed to look like a sack of coal, but the coal 
it's not like the gold gum that you would get that way back when like in the 50s this was um gold it was black it's supposed to look like coal and it tasted like cinnamon and it was just Ugh. like hunks of cinnamon i loved it greatest candy i've ever eaten I can't make fun of you for being like being a grandpa because I'm wearing a, I'm wearing a very grandpa jacket right now. I mean, I'm comfortable with this. It's fine. Oh, I know you you you've uh, no shame in your game, man. When I was doing yard work over the summer, my brother said, "Why don't you just get Boy Scouts to do that? They'll come do that at your house." And I went, "I don't want a bunch of kids in my yard." <laughs> so that's where I am. I'm 35. So, anyways, um, <laughs> it's really it's gonna get bad. Be, Speaking be of. Strap Speaking in. of kids running up to your house and ringing your doorbell, Halloween. Right. I'm just Tracy. saying. I I assume I'll know both of you when I'm 75. So just it's gonna it's not gonna be good. Trapes trapes and through your lawn. So so back when we first started this podcast at its first iteration, and those episodes aren't really nowhere to be found. But we did an episode about the origins of Halloween, in which we talked about Samhain. Samhain was a Celtic festival largely celebrated in ireland so this is like a later celtic tradition when when that culture really developed in in ireland um it was a practice or a a festival that was celebrated on the evening of october 31st which is you know why that is still the date for halloween it's not where the name comes from we'll get there um, it's, and that was because it was considered the beginning of the winter seasons. They would celebrate from the evening of October 31st to the evening of November 1st to, to bring in the winter season. But there was also a belief uh, among the Celts that this was a time where the, the line between the, the realm of the living and the realm and of the dead was thinnest. Um, so they believed that spirits of the dead and fairies and, and other spirits in general could pass into the realm of the living at this time. And so they would do things like burning giant bonfires. We don't exactly know why. Most historians think that it was either as a way to welcome these spirits or the opposite, the, a way to keep them away. I guess if you're going to theorize that, you just kind of go all out. And one of those theories is probably right. Um, by the so, so when Ireland became Christian... And if you want to revisit our episode about St. Patrick, you can learn more about that. Mm. But when Ireland was made forcibly Christian, I guess is a good way to say it, this brought along the holiday of All Saints Day, which is November 1st. It's a holiday used to uh, for the veneration of, of all saints. And there's another holiday, November 2nd, All Souls Day, which is basically a day where you pray for recent, the recently deceased. Um, all Saints Day was known as Hollow Mass. So like Christmas, like hollow mm. meaning holy. Uh, so like holy, a holy day. And the day before, the night before Hollow Mass was All Hallows Eve. And eventually, just as language goes, that became Halloween. There's where your name comes from. It happened that these two holidays happened at the same time. And so they ended up over the years becoming conflated because if you think about Ireland now, it is a, you know very much a Christian part of the world, but they still hold to a lot of Celtic tradition. So it kind of shows you that that a good example of those two cultures mixing and becoming in a way sort of their own thing. There's 
a good kind of example of how Halloween became a practice, the connection of uh, Samhain with All Saints Day. Um, in the 16th century, people in Ireland, Scotland, and Wales started to do things like dressing up for All Saints Day, possibly as a way to trick wandering spirits. Um, but they also did something called susing, which was going door to door, asking for food in return for a prayer for the dead. And this was largely practiced in England. Um, when children would do this, they would ask for something called soul cakes, which I imagine is some sort of dry bread. Um, <laughs> but they would also carry lanterns carved out of turnips. Those are your first uh-huh. jack-o'-lanterns. They look weird. Yes. They look like shrunken heads. They do. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, in the 1840s, a major event happened in Ireland. Who knows what that is? The potato famine. The potato famine. And a lot of Irish people came to the United States. They left Ireland to escape the potato famine, and they brought their practices associated with what we now think of as Halloween, things like bobbing for apples mm. and children playing tricks on their neighbors. Ah. Usually that would be some sort of a harmless thing like stealing their front gate. But about 100 years later, by the 1930s, it had basically become pure vandalism. And so the giving of treats to children was essentially a bribe to not break all of your shit. And so by the 1930s, trick or treat became kind of a used term, and we've been with it ever since. So it's either that or susing or a little bit of both that, that leads to this modern practice of trick or treat. But it basically means give me candy or I will fuck your shit up. Give me some candy or I will break your shit. Mm -hmm. I think around the turn of the century, there were like full out riots in in certain cities (laughs) around Halloween. Yeah, people liked liked to riot about (laughs) stuff like that back in the old days. There's my quick and dirty about Halloween. (laughs) Okay. Um, Yeah, there's... um, So... Do you guys uh do you guys like Halloween or are you into Halloween? My favorite holiday, but I I don't really I like to watch horror movies and things like that, but yeah. I feel like I don't really get, embrace Halloween the way I used to. I feel I'm extremely way. I'm extremely into Halloween. Um I don't know. I I'm kind of a I'm I'm into a lot of things, but uh I love Halloween. I love wearing costumes. Um, won a few costume contests <laughs> in my day. See, uh, yeah, I know you've. I've seen some good costumes. I'm not a costume person. Yeah, and now I have kids, so it's like a whole different. It's like a whole different angle on it because you know when we get them in their costumes and go around. This is the first year I finally convinced my 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 two little dudes to be in a group costume. <laughs> what is it going to be? Us. Uh, I'm going to be their Pokemon trainer, and oh yes, uh, Quillen is going to be. Um, Bulbasaur, which my oldest son is going to be a, a Pokemon, and my two-year-old is going to be Pikachu, and he's gotten very practiced at running around going Pikachu. <laughs> so I, it's going to be adorable and hilarious. Somewhere out there, there is a video of me as a four-year-old where I was dressed as a rabbit for Halloween, and I was insistent on practicing. So it's just my dad uh, filming while I keep coming to the door to practice trick or treat. <laughs> That's funny. Yep. 
Uh, yeah, we're all like '80s kids, so you remember um, your your costume was like the plat, like the cheap plastic mask. It was always a cheap plastic were... mask, and then a winter coat. And a winter coat because yeah. we live in Ohio. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Well, anyway, <laughs> so that's a uh, that's Halloween. So, um, oh, wait, wait a second. That kind of... You guys are picking oh. poking fun at me about candy. What's your favorite candy? I I like a good chocolate bar. But I am yeah. Really way to go into, outside of the box, there, Joe. I'm I'm my favorite candy is I'm into any kind of like gummy candy, like gummy worms, gummy bears. Do you like a Swedish fish? I love a Swedish fish, but mm. they're better when they're fresh. There's a big difference. Yeah, licorice very much the same big way. Difference. Yeah, they get they get real like you know they get real dry and like they're almost like hard candy at that point. Mark, what about you? I'm trying to think. Like, what is Mark for like? for normal like Halloween candy? I gotta go Reese's peanut butter cup. Reese's Ooh. peanut butter cup's good. I also really like what? fruity gummy candy. Yeah. Okay, so ha- Halloween was was one of my favorite holidays as a kid. I remember one year there was a full on blizzard, and I had to wear like yep. a snowsuit and a Frankenstein mask. <laughs> I remember that. My dad had one costume. Like he had his Halloween costume. So he would take us trick or treating, and he would always dress as a ninja. That sounds appropriate. It was just a, it was it was just comfortable, and he had it because yeah, he with what my family was into, like he would. That's something you might just have. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, you know, it's like like you said, like every year, you know, you're gonna wear like a, like a parka because in Central Ohio, it's like right now it is. We're we're recording this. It's October twenty first. It was pretty warm today. But it never fails. By the time uh, Halloween rolls around or trick or treat night, it is like frigid. Yeah, kids are gonna have a good night this this year. It's gonna be about sixty degrees. That's yeah, it's rare. Actually nice. Yeah. Oh, and I we should mention this. Um, it's a great time speaking of Halloween to talk about our Satanic Panic episode because the Satanic Panic is the reason why frequently Halloween. Or trick or treat night is not the same day as Halloween itself. Um, oh, is that why? Yes, because people thought that the Satanists would come out on Halloween and kidnap your children or poison them or whatever. I guess it's a good time to plug our very old episode about Satanism to explain that one of the tenets of um, Levian Satanism is not to harm children or animals. Right. Right. Yeah. But anyway. Yeah. Nobody ever actually found a razor blade, razor blade, and a butterfinger. No, it is literally never happened. Yep. Never, not once. Um, all the uh, instances of people being harmed in some way like that were actually their parents. Yeah, but you remember, like the police stations would have, like yeah. they would scan your candy, like yep. They never did that. Like my parents never did that, but I distinctly remember my mom like feeling every piece of candy. And I would go yep. out and get quite a haul. So, like, you got to be dedicated. Oh, yeah. yeah, I I lived in a... <laughs> we, li- we lived in, like, not the best neighborhoods. We, we would be the kids who would go to the the, <laughs> the richer neighborhood to trick-or-treat so we get better candy. <laughs> uh, that's my favorite Bob's Burgers episode where they go to the rich I- island off the coast because they live near the ocean. And that's where they give them full bars. Full bars. See, the first year we moved into our house, there were no, no, no kids on the street. So I bought like full 
big candy bars because I knew like the few kids that came to our house, like they were going to get hooked up. Um, okay. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, speaking of Halloween, like some of the origins of this stuff, um, we got to talk about neo-paganism because, um, you know, there's a several hundred to thousand years gulf between the paganism that we've previously discussed and the modern pagan movements. Um, they've attempted to reconstruct some of these old religions, um, but for the most part, they are they are modern uh, modern inventions um, and frequently influenced by modern ideals. But um, and and we could do an entire episode about each one of these. So I'm mean, very top level. But um, interest in pagan traditions revived during the Renaissance when there was like a little bit of uh, there was an interest. Uh, growing interest in trying to reclaim some of the Greco-Roman um, traditions that had been lost during the medieval uh, period. Uh, lost in Europe, I should say. Um, but then this was somewhat suppressed by the Reformation. Martin Luther and those guys, they are really into this kind of stuff. Sure. So it kind of was repressed for a while. It later resurfaced, though, in the 18th and 19th century during the Romantic period. People were trying to get into, like, uh, esoteric religion and um, occultism and things like this and and reclaiming some of these um, older religions and and, uh, are trying to reconstruct them. There's also scholarly interest in reconstructing pagan mythology from folklore. You've heard of the Brothers Grimm. I was just uh, learning about some of the Grimm fairy tale evolution last night. Yeah, so they they were um, folklorists and they were attempting to reconstruct some of the pagan folklore from Germany, mm-hmm. uh, which they were you know relatively successful in doing, um, and that's where many of our fairy tales come from. Them and, and when you talk um, about them reviving, and they're reviving stories that at their time were four or five thousand years old. Yep, trying to document them. I mentioned the ancient order of the Druids. Um, but the real rise in neo-paganism is really, it's a 20th century thing. Uh, so, uh, as I said, it's an attempt to reclaim um, ethnic religious traditions that have been suppressed by the church. Uh, but again, there is no continuity, historical continuity, for instance, between ancient Druidry and some of these other things and their modern counterparts. Um, th- just a lot of it is just lost. And there is a continuum between uh, like polytheistic reconstructionism where it's like there are folks who are like trying to reconstruct and to practice the religion of the ancient Greeks. Okay. On the other end of a spectrum, there is like eclectic neo-paganism, which is a sort of kind of taking like ideas from some of these older religions, combining them with new age philosophy um, and a lot of other things together into creating something entirely new. Um, it's well, that's kind of like the fantasy of... element. Yeah, of it's it really almost. hard to talk. Like, yeah, some of these things I think of like some sick ass wizard or yeah, you know, things that feel spooky and Halloweeny or whatever. But the reality, as I learned, is not like that. No, it's not. It's all from like the sixties, um, or or at least maybe the first half of the the twentieth century at at best. But um, some of the it, you can't really talk about these things with a broad brush because they're just so different, and there is there's not they're not dogmatic. So even one group neo pagan group that professes to practice the same 
religion might be different and have different tenets from uh, another group attempt, uh, professing to practice the same religion. Um, but, uh, but anyway, some commonalities are polytheism. Many of these are polytheistic. Um, animism, which is the belief in uh, basically spirits in, every, in, in everywhere in, in the everyday world and animating force in uh, all things, especially living creatures. Um, pantheism, which is not the same thing as polytheism. Pantheism is sort of like everything is a manifestation of a religion or alternatively that all religions have truth in some way. Uh, there's also some things like worship of nature. So many of these neo-pagan religions are considered to be nature religions. Uh, mother goddess worship. Mother goddess worship, yep. Um, environmentalism, and a lot of these religions actually come from the environmental movement in the 60s and 70s. Um, feminism is a, is a very prominent element in many of these, mm. um, which is a contrast to the very paternalistic um, major world religions, most of them. Um, and then also modern liberal values are frequently brought in to a lot of these. And again, that's pro a lot of these. It's a it's a either an explicit or an unconscious attempt to contrast with Christianity and uh, and the other um, Abrahamic religions. So there was um, some resurgence in the 1920s with utopianism, which we mentioned in our socialism episode. Mm -hmm. So they're trying to create these utopias trying to break out of like the problems in society so that part of it is they get to get a new religion so some of this comes from that most of these religions derive from the 1960s and 70s like i said and then i i just wanted to briefly mention wicca because wicca is a, the um it's by far the largest neo-pagan religion um it was outlined in the 1950s by gerald gardner um but it's a modern religion. But it draws, it draws from uh, folk magic, romanticist literature, Freemasonry, um, the historical theories of an of a kind of wacky um, English archaeologist named Margaret, Margaret Murray, who claimed to have sort of rediscovered this ancient religion. But just to be clear, she one hundred percent did not. <laughs> okay, good to know. Um, and again, the newness of religion does not necessarily have a bearing on its truth. <laughs> but well, that is a loaded sentence. Well, it does. I mean, it doesn't. It, like, it it doesn't. But for someone like you and I, or us that doesn't believe the truth of any religion, that's a big that's a big sentence. Well, I, I'm just saying. I think some people tend to ridicule some of these new religions because oh, they're new. That that does that doesn't have a bearing on whether they're true or not, right? No, like not no. really, not logically. Um, so and now here I am, I'm defending Wicca. Yeah, and here you are bringing logic into the conversation. <laughs> um, yeah. So, um, but there are so many different forms, and many of them bear very little resemblance to one another. So it's very diffuse. Well, um, the, but it what, is. What are the common by, practices of Wicca? It would be almost impossible for me to get into that without us doing an entire episode on it. Like they, they are potentially like just some of the named forms: Gardnerian Wicca, Alexandrian Wicca, Fairy Wicca, Kemetic Wicca, Judeo Paganism or Jewetry, and Dianic Wicca or Feminist Wicca. Those are just a few of them. 
Um, but I think Wicca has very much gotten into popular culture um, in uh, uh, movies like The Craft, um, the TV show Charmed, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, just to name a few. Um, so I think it's gotten into the public consciousness through through pop culture. And I think when people think of modern witchcraft, they're mainly thinking of Wicca. Um, so there you it, go. It has a, like nature worship element and also like a, sort of like a magic element, but yes, more, more like chaos magic that you can like manifest your own personal power or whatever. I don't know how to describe it. That is a, uh, that's that's some of it, but the um, there's some some uh, Wicca is a uh, uh, duoistic or duotheistic. There's so there's two major gods, um, the triple goddess and the horned god. Uh, but again, but some Wicca is explicitly um, atheist. <laughs> so there's you know there's there's a lot of variation. Yeah, I'm not. I think at it. At its core, religion is a tool for the user. And a lot of these things have a ritual element. And I do kind of... There are rituals, yes. ...appreciate that because like performing a ritual makes an intention real in whatever kind of way. But some of these like polytheistic religions in the modern age, making a a decision to follow the... Aesir of ancient Norse mythology seems kind of like a choice that I don't get. I think there's an element of rebellion. I, I really do. And I know that I kind of like joked about pissing off your parents, but I do think that there's an element about rebelling against organized religion. Oh, definitely. Um, now I don't, I don't mean to, and, and I don't want to say that that's like the only reason anyone follows these as i mentioned there's um many of these are tempting to attempting to harken back to um the uh, cultural traditions of of a particular part of the world but but yeah well i have a very good example of one of these groups neo-pagan group um it is called asat true and it is a neo-pagan religion based on the ancient germanic norse mythology it's polytheistic um, it worships the Aesir, the pantheon of Norse gods, Odin, Thor, Frey, Frigg, Loki, Heimdall, all those dudes. Um, they're also referred to as Odinists or Wotanists. And it came about in the 1970s um, from a particular movement in Iceland. Um, there's a guy named Svenbjorn Beitensen. Yeah, that other, passes the test. Other people yeah. who followed him who rejected the Christianization of Iceland centuries earlier and wanted to sort of reinvent traditional cultural beliefs. So because Iceland is a little bit more removed from Europe, the Christian influence came there later and a little bit more powerfully than in some other places. Um, and these pagan beliefs persisted there a little bit longer than in other areas as well. Um, Asatru, though, has unfortunately been co-opted by white supremacist organizations and is a powerful tool for radicalizing its members. Um, 
I learned about this through the context of a Vice show about um, white supremacists and Aryan Brotherhood members. Mm-hmm. Um, some, but not all members of the Aryan Brotherhood practice Asatru, although in other circumstances, the Aryan Brotherhood claims to be a Christian organization. Um, inside and outside of prison, Asatru has been gaining influence since the 80s. Um, and the reason that it's popular with some of these supremacist fringe groups is that Asatru's focus and sort of some of the themes in the original Norse mythology are ideas of celebration of the warrior and dying for the your belief and your culture, your people, stuff like that. And it has a perfect parallel with racial ideology. So mm-hmm. Nordic people is pretty homogeneous. Um, but this macho sort of celebration of violence in in a modern context has kind of a dangerous connotation, especially with this like racial element to it. Sure. Um, this also has to do with a, a 1964 Supreme Court decision that gave uh, prison inmates the right to practice and organize their chosen religions. So um, Asatru could be thought of in two different camps. They have the ancestral worship, or it could be, um, as is the case in many within prison, a public way to promote veiled white supremacist beliefs. Um, and there's sort of a loophole in the prison law or whatever to um, allow people to meet publicly under the guise of faith. So this is kind of like, is it a gang or is it a a legitimate faith? Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. There are some legitimate organizations. There's something called the Asatru Folk Assembly in Nevada City, California. Um, Isn't that the band with like 13 members? Sounds like it. (laughs) Yeah. I'll play the didgeridoo. (laughs) Um, so they they are clear to say that they are not a supremacist organization their website sums up their belief as this ours is an ancestral religion one passed down from us to our from one passed down to us from our forebearers from ancient lines and thus tailored to our unique makeup its spirit is inherent in us as a people if the people in the north cease to exist Asatru would likewise no longer exist. It is our will that we not only survive, but thrive and continue our upward evolution in the direction of the infinite. Um, so there, from that statement in itself, like you can believe whatever you want. There's nothing, you know, negative about this. I think everyone should be uh, proud of themselves as people and their their heritage and everything, but there's a, a danger in this ethnic element to religious belief that, you yeah. know, these white supremacist people have you know put a fine point on. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a good point. There is definitely like a seed or a uh, a current of uh, ethno nationalism in some of these neo pagan movements. Um, which, you know, can in some cases go to some dark places. Yeah, 
for sure. Uh, well, but yeah. So that was a well, that was a wild ride. We. Yeah, but I think it speaks to our original thesis, which was paganism is a very very broad term that yes. does not mean any one thing. Um, I think we've clearly demonstrated that. Yeah it it kind of mean it, it means a ton of different things and a ton of misconceptions. But hopefully we made them more cl- more more clear. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, we hope you have a good Halloween. Yeah, uh, carve your your turnip and carve um, your turnip and then go steal your neighbor's fence. So <laughs> just the gate. I'm gonna be listening to some uh, black metal and uh, <laughs> trying to contact Satan. Don't throw your child into a bog. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna go bob for apples. When we were talking about that, the one thing I kept thinking was like that is. I think if you put a gun to Dave's head, I don't know if you would bob for apples. If I were the first person to do it and I had a clear understanding of where the basin, the apples, and the water came from, then yeah, I'd be fine. (laughs) But those are all of the, those are the stipulations. I don't think anyone's bobbing for apples this year, though. I I need fresh pool water inside of a (laughs) newly ordered, like, plastic basin. Dave needs strongly chlorinated water. Just give me like a glass bucket and like a whole bunch of whiskey. Stick my face in that. I'll burn your eyes. Anyways, happy Halloween, everybody. Happy Halloween, everyone. Get spooky. Thank you for listening to an hour of our time. If you like what you heard, we encourage you to explore our catalog of over 150 episodes and rate and review on your platform of choice. And if you have any comments or episode topic suggestions, contact us at anhourofourtimepodcast at gmail.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.